It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, and uh, happy Tuesday. Welcome to Talent Talk. Thank you for tuning in with me here today. And joining me as we have, as usual, two great guests uh, to really dive into the world of talent and culture and work. Um, you know, I have the privilege of meeting a lot of these kind of really cool, inspirational leaders all the time, uh, just kind of running into them at different events and conferences or places where I may be speaking or listening to others speak. And um, really, this show is designed to allow you to kind of listen on that conversation. So as I might pull someone really cool aside and ask them some some questions about what they're thinking about, what they're working on, what they're doing, we thought, hey, let's do this on the radio and allow everyone else to listen in and hear all the great things that they're talking about and, uh, and thinking about. So Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, if you're tuning in live right now, you already know that. Um, but if... Uh, you know, you're like most people, you're kind of popping in here through, um, uh, you know, the podcast, through iHeartRadio, through um, all different sorts of mediums. Um, and so we really appreciate everyone who's kind of coming in that way. So we, I think over 10,000 people a day are coming in, downloading one of our podcast feeds from different platforms. So big thank you to everyone who's kind of participating and being part of the show. Um, if you want to be a part of the show, we'd love to have people come in via Twitter uh, and tweet us your questions at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. If it's live, my producer Mike feeds me in the questions. We try to work them in the show. If it's after the fact, that's okay. If you're listening on one of the podcasts, you can ask us questions on Twitter or the guests after the fact. Um, we, we'd love to keep the conversation going. We've had times that people come back and ask us questions years later after podcasts. It's kind of cool. All right, I have two, as I mentioned, great guests joining me today. The first will be Dan Harris. He's the Workplace Insights Analyst at uh, Quantum Workplace. And then we'll have Ben Martinez, CEO and founder of Sumato Coffee. He's also an HR and talent technology entrepreneur. So um, let's go ahead and get started with uh, Dan Harris. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Dan, please tell us about yourself and, of course, your company and what you're doing over there at Quantum Workplace. Sure. So Quantum Workplace is based in Omaha, Nebraska, and we specialize in software that helps to maximize employee engagement and performance. So our employee feedback software is a platform that kind of allows organizations to gather data and insights across the entire employee experience. This includes tools like engagement surveys, exit surveys, peer-to-peer recognition, goal management, performance conversations. So 
across all of those tools, we gather a lot of data about the employee experience, and that's where I come in. So as an analyst, I essentially help make sense out of employee perceptions and behavior. I love jumping into data sets and finding meaningful, actionable stories that may have a positive impact for organization. And I used to work with our clients on a little bit more of a one-to-one basis, but earlier this year, I actually started transitioning more into a research role, which is perfect because it's literally what I was trained to do because I've been pursuing a doctorate in industrial organizational psychology and hoping to graduate this December with that. Well, that sounds like you have quite uh, quite a lot of things on your plate and you're kind of working through a lot of different things. Um, I know one of the things you've done this year as co-author the 2017 Employee Engagement Trends Among America's Best Places to Work. Can you share a brief overview, maybe this annual report that uh, Quantum Workplace has developed? Oh, sure. So Quantum Workplace hosts an employer recognition program known as Best Places to Work, and this is essentially a competition between organizations within specific markets, typically regionally based, to be designated as a best place to work. So a uh, company representative submits information about his or her organization to be included in the contest, surveys are administered to employees within those organizations, and then organizations with the highest scores are designated as uh, best place to work within their market size or region. And so right now we have nearly 50 contests annually, and we partner with various publications, professional organizations, and other sponsors across the country to conduct these surveys and honor those organizations that are among the best of the best in the United States. And so in terms of that annual report, that is based on the previous year's data, so 2016 in this case, and that's based on essentially the aggregated perceptions of over half a million employees across the United States, representing more than 8,000 organizations. So I know we uh, actively participate in that. That's a great uh, kind of forum, and uh, I think you get some great data over there. Were there some stories or maybe some things that you saw in this last data set? Uh, for, you said it was 2016. Um, that maybe surprised you or you thought were interesting? Yeah, I would say that at least from kind of an overall level, there were some interesting results with regard to item level results. So to kind of give a brief overview, the survey includes the standardized version, 30 different survey items that are responded to on an agreement scale. So strongly disagree all the way to strongly agree. And it taps into different categories of organizational culture. And so one thing that I found interesting was that overall, on average, employees were least agreeable toward the item of when the organization makes changes, I understand why. And so that means that communication, especially strategic communication, is often a large opportunity for improvement among most organizations. And this result shows that even great and best places to work are susceptible to those kinds of obstacles with regard to effectively conveying why changes are made across the organization. So that's an interesting point. So do you think that that is maybe a function of lack of communication, um, meaning the company thinks they're doing a good job of it and clearly the, the employees aren't, aren't agreeing? Or do you think there's an element there of lack of transparency? So 
is someone making, um, you know, the senior level these decisions and maybe they don't really want to explain why down, down the chain? Mm -hmm. um, you know, where do you think that sits? Yeah, I would say that whenever it comes to these kind of questions, I always think of it like a, a decision tree almost. And from the highest level, I think, is it there or not? Is it present or absent? So are they actually communicating these changes or not? And so that may be a potential reason for some of these organizations. Others might be that, yes, they are being communicated, but they're not being communicated well, or they're not being communicated timely, or they're not being communicated often enough, and it may not potentially trickle down to the employees throughout the organization. It might just be among executives and directors. So although I can't offer necessarily one specific reason as to why that might be the case, it does tap into all those different aspects of, as you indicated, for example, that transparency and do they actually communicate all the way down to, well, is what we're communicating, even if it is timely and relevant, is it actually resonating with our employees? Are we even using a medium that they access, like newsletters, email, town halls, things like that? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the medium um, issue because we've seen this be a really huge opportunity for um, employers that want to look at this to, to really diversify how they're communicating because they have groups of people and they might tend to fall into generational groupings, but not always. There's certainly people that cross over, but there are ones that want the town hall, that want a meeting, they want to hear from the manager, they want an email, they want a text. I mean, People digest information, whether it's, uh, you know, in a meeting setting, verbally, um, through, you know, reading, whatever it may be in different ways. And so we've seen if the companies are even communicating it as the first step, they may only be communicating yeah, it one way. So mm -hmm. that can be a real challenge for organizations. Do you, do yeah, you see that, um, is there any sort of measurement on your end as far as communication styles or quality of communication when you're kind of you know, gauging uh, if they are a great workplace. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, we don't capture those specific data for the best place to work survey, for example, but just in the work that I've done with clients over the years, I can say that even just that large factor of are those strategic changes actually communicated is a big one, but also not just the change, but also why. And that's, I think, one of the more important factors of that item because, again, it's that when the organization makes changes, I understand why. Sometimes it's the case that organizations, whether it be through town halls, newsletters, you know, text updates, they say that there's a change happening or that there's a change in the works, but they don't give a, a reason. They don't uh, offer a rationale for it. And it's often that understanding that can help reduce anxiety in employees. So even if the change is communicated, there has to be that kind of ongoing continuous dialogue about why and to be able to arm managers to be able to answer questions that their teams might have in terms of better essentially defending and explaining why certain changes might be made. Right, absolutely. Well, I know one of the fascinating things are kind of um, Think one of the things that caught my eye in looking at your uh, report was with the organizational demographic uh, kind of concentration about my industry. And I know one of the areas sort of showing that healthcare in particular was one of the least engaged industries, which based on some different surveys I've seen kind of seemed like a surprise a little bit. Um, 
And we're looking at them, you know, back in the department, to, from nursing and clinical employees to the general employees, having some of those lower levels. Uh, you know, are, for you, are these results concerning? Are they different than what they've been in the past? Or, you know, maybe what kind of makes healthcare that, that different to kind of have that trend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that to me, at least, these results are pretty concerning, that relatively speaking, they are among the lowest level results, at least compared to other industries in our data set. So I guess for context, at least based on our data, less than 60% of respondents in the healthcare industry were highly engaged. And it's important to remember that these organizations are competing to win, so they think they're the best of the best. And with even 60% being on that kind of lower realm of these scores across industries, that means that even among some of the best healthcare companies in the country, at least those that are participating in our program, engagement levels are relatively low. So imagine just how low engagement might be within the average non-participating or below average healthcare company. And that's what strikes me is that I, I mean, I could essentially go on kind of a rant about healthcare employees and especially nurses, how often they're overworked, highly stressed, susceptible to burnout and all of that, how that can negatively affect team dynamics, decision making, concentration. So I think it has a kind of a toxic feedback loop in a way, and that these are the individuals who are often or largely uh, responsible for trying to essentially enhance the health of our country or at least address potential health issues amongst individuals and groups and so forth. But if they themselves are potentially disengaged, less connection with their organizations, and may themselves be kind of lower health, psychological health, stress, burnout, and so forth, to me that creates that feedback loop that is kind of a downward spiral of overall health. Yeah, I mean, healthcare is a really fascinating um, kind of industry in that you have so many factors internally, both that are unique in a positive way, unique in a negative way, but then you have an entire political and mm-hmm. uh, conversation happening out in the public uh, sphere that's co- probably impacting the level of care and happiness and everything else that goes into there that really you can't impact. I mean, a manager can't do much about whether or not, you know, how the government is going to handle health care, right, and how that might impact somebody's job and how they might feel about their job. Um, so it, it's a pretty fascinating, uh, uh, you know, industry. I'm not sure if there's another one like it where you kind of have that kind of um, impact and kind of uh, uh, all these different things happening at one time. And, and to your point, mm-hmm. and health care agencies that maybe already know they're not doing a good job, probably aren't, aren't showing up to do your survey. Only the best of the best, are th- the ones that think they're the best, are showing up to do that. And uh, who knows how bad it might be at some of the other places. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I know in the report the professional demographics covered things like uh, tenure, position level, pay type. So uh, maybe from, from that perspective, just looking at that, was there anything else interesting there uh, as far as how people were engaged based on how long they've been there or maybe their, their position level or pay, things like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, professional demographic that's always interested me is tenure. And in the report, we found uh, a difference of engagement across tenure, and that's one that we found so consistently, and not only these annual reports, but also just 
against other data that we kind of call it the tenure curve. And it's way easier to describe with a visual aid, but you can think of the tenure curve as an employee engagement trend in which we find kind of a U-shaped curve across tenure in which employee engagement tends to be really high for the newest employees, so those with less than one-year tenure. And then it takes an absolute nosedive for the next group, so those employees with one to two years of tenure. And then it kind of decreases, levels off a bit for the next three groups. So this includes a kind of a huge swath of employees who have been tenured for three to 14 years, and then finally increases a bit for kind of the old timers, those employees who have been with organizations for 15 years or more. So again, that kind of U-shaped curve. And so what interests me about that curve is not necessarily the entirety of the curve itself, but rather the huge downward spike in engagement and favorability between the first two groups. Because Essentially, I view it that higher levels of engagement for newer employees is likely related to the novelty and optimism associated with a new workplace. They're kind of going through that honeymoon phase. There's a lot of possibilities. They get a lot of attention, and they're focusing a lot on that new relationship, both with the organization and their teams. But then, interestingly, seemingly things start to kind of dim for employees in that one to two year tenure bracket. Potentially they might see fewer learning possibilities. They might kind of plateau in their development, become more involved in office politics, receive less attention, stuff like that. So essentially it's that sharp downward trend and engagement that's really interesting and something that does suggest that that momentum kind of needs to keep going for newer employees. Yeah, and how do you think that companies do that? Or maybe uh, do you have examples of what some of the better companies are doing to keep, you know, mm -hmm. uh, people uh, focused beyond that honeymoon period? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that uh, the better organizations, what they typically do is they adopt more of an ongoing conversation with their direct reports. So it's not necessarily that you just receive a lot of manager attention and coworker attention for your first like three or six months and then that's it and then you're pretty much doing your own responsibilities throughout the rest of your years, but rather to have those check-ins, those monthly or quarterly performance conversations between managers and direct reports one-on-one, -on -one, as well as maybe every quarter, every six months, a, a larger team conversation about performance and especially to develop a better understanding of individual strengths and where they want to learn and grow because some people might be better suited for an entirely different position than what they came in for. Some people might want to learn a different tool, a different technique. So keeping those kinds of factors in mind can go a long way in essentially keeping that momentum going from new hire into that one to two year tenure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that idea of having those regular check-ins and talking um, about having that kind of conversation um, is something we, I do notice that um, the best companies seem to do, right, whether it's a monthly conversation or a weekly, but there's some, there's some regular mechanism where they're talking about their goals, they're talking about how they're doing, they're talking about, you know, where their, their, their paths, their career paths inside the organization. I, I, I probably lands more on the manager's shoulders than anybody else's, but to, to make sure that they're doing that, um, because it's a lot of work, 
you have 20 reports oh, yeah. or 30 reports or however many. That's a lot of meetings <laughs> to be having. Definitely. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's something you have to do one-on-one. You can literally have a lunch every day, every work day. And if you have more than 20 reports, you still not covered everybody, um, assuming you're even there for lunch every day. So, I mean, that, that is quite daunting. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I also yeah, wanted to that report. Uh, go ahead. Oh, sure. Um, so it, it just uh, what you said struck me that that does indicate that there may be like caps needed for the amount of direct reports per manager or supervisor, and especially that need for tools to be able to facilitate just that sheer amount of data and all those meetings just even with your direct reports. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just tracking that, um, whatever that, I mean, I, I remember like the, the best doctors I ever had, you know, uh, they always seem to write down little details about you in their chart, right? So they picked up the chart, mm-hmm. they would come in, they'd probably read right before they walked in the door, and they'd ask you, oh, how's soccer going, or how's your mom doing? They remember these details. And when you get older, you figure out what they were doing, but you know, I remember as a kid or as a teenager, you thought, wow, they remembered who I was, or they remember these details. Mm-hmm, yeah. At some level, these managers need to be taking good notes and they'd be writing things down and how to remember what each of your employees are looking to do or thinking about or worried about and so you can come back and continue to address them on a more consistent basis. So I think your yeah, your suggestion of tools is, is a great one. But you know, one of the other areas that we we talked about looking at it from a demographic or from a, a standpoint of tenure and position level, but there's also those other demographics of gender, age, uh, education, things like that. Were there any interesting stories there? Uh maybe comparing it at, at that level? Yeah, so with personal demographic, again, just kind of focusing on one is the demographic of gender had a rather interesting outcome. So for our survey, the demographics are self-report. So the gender item is worded, which gender do you most strongly identify as? And there's a response options of male, female, and another identity. And it's that last response option is what I found to be pretty intriguing is that Individuals who indicated another identity for their gender could be transgender, intersex, third gender, or essentially a variety of other identities. But either way, these respondents don't identify with the kind of norm of a binary gender of male or female. And so to offer some context about why I find this so intriguing is that about 71% of the female respondents in the data set were highly engaged, and about 75% of male respondents were highly engaged. So other than that particular difference of the 4% between female and male respondents, what's most striking is the percentage of highly engaged individuals who indicated being another identity, and that was 42%. That is a huge gap in terms of the level of engagement between individuals who identify as kind of gender majority, so male or female, or kind of gender minority. And you may not remember this, but would you, was there a percentage that uh, you remember about um, that, that, that kind of like that other category? The percentage in terms of how many people identified as another identity? Correct. Yeah, so I think it was around maybe a thousand individuals and this is essentially a thousand individuals out of 500,000 plus and so that's well under like half a percent if not like a tenth of a percent so it's we're working with right. very small numbers here but that does indicate that 
even though it is a very small number compared to male and female respondents, with there being a thousand individuals across the United States, that does seem to indicate a general trend about that population. Certainly, and I guess it's something to really continue to watch. Um, if, if, if a particular group is, uh, if you can really identify that they are disproportionately disengaged, that, that is a great opportunity to go back and, and find a way to to try to figure out how to help them be more engaged or to reach their career goals or whatever it may be that mm -hmm. may be causing that disconnect um, if it's something inside the employer's control um, or ability yep. to, to impact. Um, but that sounds like a really interesting story that maybe continue will continually shed more data and more, more stories as you, as you, uh, you know, measure them throughout the years. So I know you said you were doing quite a bit with, uh, with the survey and with your other work, uh, but I'm wondering, you, one of our favorite questions to ask is maybe you've uh, recently read a book or have a, a book that you generally recommend for people um, around talent culture that is kind of this whole idea um, and, and if you maybe would share that with us. Mm -hmm. So that one's actually kind of interesting because I actually don't really read books all too often anymore and I think it's because in grad school I had to read so much in such a short amount of time that I basically got like trained to rapidly digest small chunks of info. So it's almost <laughs> right. to the point now that whenever I try to sit down and read a book, I'm like, where's the abstract and conclusion? So over the past few years, I've been reading mostly blog posts and just essentially just whatever the topic is of the month that I'm interested in. But one thing that's been consistent is I've always followed like data science, HR analytics, things like that, because to me, that's where the future is headed of our kind of overarching field is to have insight on those kinds of data, whether it be predictive analytics, integrated analytics, data science, machine learning, all that kind of cool stuff. And so I would say that one newsletter that I've found to be consistently high quality and just has an awesome variety of different kinds of information. Sometimes it's for beginners, sometimes a lot more advanced. It's called datascienceweekly.org. And it kind of, as the name implies, it sends out a, a weekly newsletter about different cool articles that are coming out with regard to data science. And what I think is neat about that is even if you aren't an analyst or a data scientist or anything like that, it's always nice to see just the sheer variety that analytics can offer insights into and how they might be applied with even within your own organization. Well, that's a great suggestion. I really appreciate it. And this is why exactly why we ask this question is we get such a varied uh, responses from everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that there is quite a bit of our listeners that would love to check that out. I know I'll be checking it out. Um, I love a good newsletter that's got a lot of variety with different articles and, and ideas. Um, you never know where you're going to kind of pick up a new a new gem. Uh, you know, a final question here. We really appreciate you being on the show. Um, how could people get a hold of you or learn more about quantum workplaces? Maybe they want to submit their company as the best places to work. What's the best way for them to find out more? Sure. So um, to get a hold of me specifically, you can email me at dan.harris at quantumworkplace.com. And to learn more about Quantum Workplace, its tools, and especially to access our various resources like blog posts, ebooks, and even the reports like the 2017 trends report we discussed, uh, you can visit our website at quantumworkplace.com. Well, fantastic. I'm sure people will, will do that. Um, Dan, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate uh, 
you uh, doing that for us. And uh, I'd love to have you come back at some point and uh, give us an update on all the cool things that you're doing. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break, and we'll bring in our second guest, Ben Martinez. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. If you're just joining us, you missed a great interview here with Dan Harris. Uh, you can check that out again. Uh, be up in a week or two on iHeart or uh, on iTunes. Uh, you can join them. Many people that pop in about ten thousand a day download one of those podcasts or listen to the many shows we've done in the past. You can also go to TownTalkRadio.com. We've got them all stored there as well. Um, however you want to get there, there's one way to find out, uh, find a way to listen to the past shows. But let's go ahead and get to my next guest, uh, Ben Martinez, the CEO and founder of Somato Coffee. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. He'll let me know if I'm not. Uh, he's also an HR and talent technology entrepreneur, so he fits right in here. We've got a, an HR guy who's also an entrepreneur, so um, be, be, I'm sure we'll get a lot of great things out of him. Don't forget, if you have a question, though, for him or myself, or any of our past guests, go to Twitter, send it to at PeopleG2, and use that hashtag talent talk, and we will try to get an answer or even bring it in the show. But, uh, Ben, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, why don't you introduce yourself and share a little bit about what you're doing over there at, at uh, Sumato Coffee. Yeah, and so first of all, you did pronounce it correctly, spot on, and that was one of the things that I didn't think about when we started a coffee company was how people would pronounce that, but you nailed it um, <laughs> spot on. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, yeah, so uh, basically, Samato Coffee is uh, it, it's an online subscription coffee company where we roast when people order, and our whole value as a company is coffee has a shelf life, and not everybody knows that, and we're educating and sharing that with the market. Coffee, just think of it like bread or cookies that come out of the oven. Once it comes out of the roaster, it, it uh, begins to oxidize, and after 14 days, it goes stale. Um, and so uh, basically what our, our business is is we roast when someone orders off our website at sumatocoffee.com, and we sell to people who buy coffee, whole bean coffee at their home or in the workplace. And uh, so and it came about, a little bit about my background, is I have 20 years in HR, and I've lived in about six different states over 20 years, and all of them had one common thing. They all had lackluster coffee. And uh, the more I began to, uh, you know, dive into what it means to be fresh coffee, the more I decided, why don't I start a business in this, why I continue to practice HR, and now I'm doing kind of more consulting in HR and talent and recruiting in tech and um, while well, I'm building out a coffee business. So that's about me. Well, it sounds interesting, really fascinating, actually. Um, being a coffee lover, I know um, 
try to try to rotate. It's hard for people sometimes though to to use up all that coffee in 14 days. So do you guys send out more appropriate packaging sizes? I know sometimes I'll order from other places and they'll send me a giant thing of coffee. That I just there's no way I'm going to get through it in 14 days. So is that is sizing a, a, a part of that process as well? Wonderful. Yeah, they there is. So we sell in a 12 ounce bag, which is just under a pound. Uh, and we also sell in a five-pound bag. And so office clients typically do five-pound bags because they're going to drink more coffee. And then your home consumers, they do a 12-ounce bag, and they sign up for a subscription uh, with this, and they get them roasted and shipped to them usually once every two weeks. So, like, for yourself, I would recommend you get uh, once every two weeks, depending on your your coffee intake, you get uh, roasted and shipped out. Then, you know, the simple as if, if that's not enough or it's too much, you can you can change your order anytime. You can cancel anytime, or you can. A lot of people when they go on vacation, they just pause their subscription, and then uh, and then it picks back up once they come back from vacation. That's good. So, um, you know, you you kind of you have a background in HR, which we've mentioned here, and holding various leadership roles uh, around the U.S. and in Mexico from Fortune 500 companies. So. What took you from from doing that to to coffee? <laughs> uh, a little bit of craziness, probably. Uh, um, you know, for one, uh, w- kind of where it went was I-, I saw an opportunity. Coffee for me, it blends three areas that I'm passionate about, and that's technology, marketing, and coffee. And those are kind of, those are three areas, right? Uh, along with um, everything else kind of out there that that, that that falls into those areas, right? It's kind of broad statements. But where I saw kind of, you know, what, what made me decide to do the jump was the um, climate in, so we're in Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah, and coffee is, without going into a lot of detail, but it's it's uh, coffee's counterculture here. Um, Utah is primarily in a, a state with people who are LDS or, you know, Mormon, if you will, and they, you know, buy their religion do not believe, and you know that people should drink coffee. So it's strange that may sound to someone who's not familiar with it. But and so what that means is you get a lot of people here who love coffee, but they can't find good coffee. And so um, I saw the need in bringing this into the workplace and really, you know, allowing us to be the experts about it and sharing what good coffee is. How do you brew good coffee? How do you store coffee? How should you order it? Why should you not order too much coffee because it goes stale? And really just educate around that. And so that was, that's kind of what, you know, we saw a need and, uh, and, and, a, and a problem. You know, co- the coffee, coffee is kind of a neglected problem in the workplace. Nobody really wants to talk about it, but everybody, you know, has a coffee break, right? And, it, and so what we're, our motto is to reimagine the coffee break. So. Well, that's fascinating that you found probably one of the few places where maybe coffee is. You know, on, on the on the not on the outs, but certainly not the a primary uh, focus. Uh, with the sort of aversion for caffeine for a lot of the residents, I uh, certainly could see how that would be an issue. So, being able to to address that, I know uh, it's difficult to get you know um, uh, a nice bottle of wine when you're in Utah sometimes, unless you want one of the six <laughs> options at the state store. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> But that's a bit more regulated than, let's say, coffee. So it sounds like you found yeah. the right area to, to really kind of jump in and, and, and fulfill a need. And that's really what a lot of great businesses are about. It's fulfilling a need uh, when you identify it, being able to, to deliver it. And then it kind of sounds like you've then expanded outside of that as well, right? Uh, yes, in terms of 
um, expanding outside of coffee or? Um, no, I guess outside of Utah, right? So you sort of started with that market, and then you guys are now, yeah. as you said, mailing it when or when brewing it when someone orders. So uh, really kind of capturing then that, uh, you know, yeah, yeah a global marketplace, right? Yeah, so we, we just focused on the United States, the shipping coffees. Um, so it's a roast to order. So we're shipping coffees outside the U.S. Is, uh, we've looked into it, but it's very costly and very difficult to do, um, I mean, you can do it, it just takes a lot of time, right? And so that's an area we just are not ready to take on. So we're focused on the U.S., and we ship to um, over 20 different states in the U.S., and then, you know, it's a roast order where we just ship within 48 hours of an order, um, and then we, you know, target in Utah, too. So we've, we've branched out, and, and I don't want to paint the picture that Utah is, like, there, there's a lot of great coffee shops here, a lot of great uh, you know, coffee drinkers here. It's just, it's more of just an old tradition here that, you know, the Mormon religion, they didn't believe in coffee. And, you know, a lot of Mormons do drink coffee, but it's, it's kind of bled into the culture here where people are not too smart about the coffee, if you will, right? So they just, they'll right. put whatever in it. And they, don't, they don't even know what good coffee is. And, you, you know, it's, uh, and then it bleeds into the workplace. And then you get these work, you know, there's a tech boom going on in Utah. People from outside the, the country and states are coming here and then they go to the workplace and they find some of the worst coffee they've ever found and they say okay what's going on here so um <laughs> so we're changing that <laughs> right yeah. right when the yeah. coffee comes in those instant grounds and then you just put it into hot water you know you're on the wrong on the wrong path so and i've seen too, you're on the far wrong too path. much of that so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well let's shift yeah, here a little bit from on. coffee into hr um you know, uh, as you being an, an HR expert, one of your passions and sort of looking up your, your background here is promoting uh, technology and really being able to, to enhance HR administrative systems. So you could talk a little bit about your vision for that area and what really drives your passion for HR tech. Yeah, so HR tech is that, that's been probably bled into starting a coffee company, candidly, um, is, I mean, I, I said, I, I worked in you know, big companies, Pepsi, Honeywell, Energizer, and then it, it, it opened up doors because of my, my passion around HR tech. was primarily HR companies, if you've worked in them, in big companies, they're usually not known for, you know, great technology. The best thing they're known for is the online paycheck back in the late 90s, right, which I was old enough to remember moving people from the paper check to the online check and how disruptive that was. But um, so that bled into... You know, just around the area of HR technology, there's so much uh, that is out there and ripe for change. And a lot of it's, you know, things like what, what we're doing right now with Somato Coffee. Somato Coffee, we're heavily focused on email marketing and drip campaigns and uh, areas where we're educating people around coffee. Well, that, that could parlay right into a recruiting or HR team if they're getting people to join their team, right? Uh, why not take a different approach versus have, you know, post jobs and just, you know, blanket tweet them and not, you know, with a, with a stock image, why not, uh, you know, do something as simple as sign up for a MailChimp account or something like that, right? And, and create some drip campaigns where you can really teach people about not only your product of your company, so you're helping your marketing team out, but also teach people about your culture and what it's like and, and, and give them content they can actually use in their career because, you know, these, these HR people have a database, right, of, uh, in their ATS, they've got thousands of candidates. And so there's CRMs, but I think a lot of the CRMs out there 
candidate relationship management tools, I should say, are good, but I think a lot of them have too many bells and whistles for a lot of these companies. And the, your average recruiter, internal HR person, is too busy to try to learn all this stuff. They just need something simple that they can they can target with. So that's kind of my vision. Is just something that's um, you know my vision around this area is it, it just it, recruiting and HR people taking more of a marketing approach in what they're doing, and but being real that they, they you know market one of the most important people. And that's the assets at the people and my passion around this is is i mean it's there's nowhere to go but up with a lot of the technology <laughs> i'm just saying a lot of yeah. people are quite oblivious to um or maybe avoiding some of the latest advantages in, in hr tech so you have people that maybe attend the shows and are looking at hr technology as, a, as an advantage and then you I still feel like those are early adopters that might be 20 to 30 percent of the market or you know of all hr uh are people Dealing with people, right? Dealing with that, that that type of information. So, how how do you think organizations, you know, how can they start to digest this better? How can they get out there and and, and find the the best things and maybe move into a bit more of a a better category there, right? Of adopting some of these things that can really help them. What, what is it? Maybe they need to know about how their company could be helped by looking at some of these technologies. Yeah, well, a couple things around that is people inside of companies that are not doing, you know, adopting technology for the HR function, you know, in their defense, a lot of them are caught doing, you know, employee relations issues, you know, the, the nasty ones, harassment claims or things like that, right, sticky terminations. And so you have some, a good pocket of them, I think, actually want to do this. They just don't have the time. But then it comes down to just making it a priority, making it your time. And what what... You know, what I encourage any of them to do, and, and it, you know, that's kind of one category. And the other category of people who are actually, I think, afraid. For whatever reason, they're afraid. They, they, maybe they've worked at a company for so long that they're just kind of beat down and they don't want to they, they don't want to challenge the status quo or introduce anything new, and they're just afraid. And they read the articles about whatever happened, right? And, and they just think, well, that's that could happen to us, and we don't want to change. And they're just afraid. And, they you know, they're, they only want to take orders, right? They, they'll all, they'll, they'll do, they'll, they're like very good soldiers and, and what, you know. Um, so what I recommend uh, someone who's looking to get into this area around adopting new HR technology, you've got to be somewhat of a, what I'll call a corporate renegade. And corporate renegades are good, but they're the ones in the room or the company, we all have them, that can annoy, really annoy somebody. And they're the kind of people that really believe in the company. Like they're, they're believers. I mean, they'll wear the uniform, They'll tout it, but they're also the people that when they hear, when they see a rule that doesn't make sense or maybe a direction leadership wants to go, they're the first to question it, and they're pushing. And, and they're the ones that bring up technology, and they say, why don't we do it different? You know, why don't we do it different? There's another way. to save us more money in a different way. And if you can really, you know, find those people and, and, and just tolerate them, right, because they're not always the ones that, they're not always the ones that are going to, you know, be the, you know, the quiet one in the meeting that doesn't speak up. They're the ones that, that, that you need to hear this information, but um, they're the ones that get it and let them run with it. And, and ultimately what happens if they don't run with this kind of stuff, the old saying, you snooze, you lose. I mean, you know, that by, you know, if somebody's still trying to get a hold of Twitter and social media. I mean, that, that, that train's long gone. I mean, they can still get a hold of it and move an act. But my point is, is that's not really a trend anymore. It's just there. And the, they're going to snooze, they lose. They're going to lose out on talent. People who work there are going to get tired. They're going to grow old. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to lose top talent that who work there, and they ultimately leave. And so, 
that, that you know, but what I'd recommend people do is just get out there, especially if you don't have a presence. Uh, I guess we're talking social media, or let's say just any technology. Just just experiment with any technology. Experiment and fail, and and you know, fail when you're just small. Like do little experiments. Like test it out on a little group. If you're looking at a new recruiting technology or a new background check technology, I mean, just test it out on a group and see if it works. And if it works, great, keep doing it. If it doesn't work, well, what'd you learn? You learned something. Maybe your process is terrible, right? And so. Just experiment. So that's, that's what I would. That's what I'd share around. I think that's a, yeah. that's a great um, uh, kind of point. That just experimenting and putting into a small group. I think a lot of people maybe are afraid to do some of these changes because they have it. It can be so overwhelming to bring in a large change to the organization, and you don't have. And that's not how large organizations do things. You, you should be testing. You should be piloting and learning and seeing what works and if it's effective and. And then learning from your mistakes. So if you do decide to go to that, you know, now everyone's going to do it or everyone's going to participate. You've already learned your lesson, um, and it's a lot, lot less painful. <laughs> uh, oh, absolutely. So I mean, a, yes, too often. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I was going to say, so you have some great lessons there. Uh, I'm sure you also have some great lessons. Uh, I know you have a, a, a blog, HR Hound. What, what can people expect to maybe learn from there if they want to check your, your blog out? Yeah, well, I've got a lot of stuff out there, as you'll find. I've got a blog. Uh, it's actually benmartinez.co. It used to be the HR Hound, and then as it grew and evolved and, you know, started to monetize a little bit, I turned it into benmartinez.co as I get consulting leads out of it. And so HR Hound is, is really good, and that's what uh, people still – I think it's still written on there, but the URL is benmartinez.co. But what, what people can expect to find there is I, I, I write every single day. And I don't publish every day, but I write every day. It's part of my daily ritual. Just like people brush their teeth, I, I, I still brush my teeth. But, I mean, I brush my teeth and I write. And it's just something I do. So I write there. And then I've also got a Medium blog under some auto coffee that I write. And I just share a lot of things around coffee. Not necessarily around coffee, but just around uh, businesses and startups and culture and, and around coffee. But I try not to be too salesy. And then I've got a podcast as well. That's, uh, it's, it's Secret Tech Sauce. And that's something that's pretty broad, but I just, it's, it's kind of similar to this conversation here where I, I meet people and we talk and, you know, we have good conversations and ultimately I end up getting to know these people on a deeper level than I ever did before because you're just like right now, we're in an audience of however many thousands of people are listening to this and, um, you know, you, you, you're somewhat on a stage, right? And so, um, so that, that's kind of what, I mean, that's what I do around that kind of, I mean, uh, I guess social online blogging. Um, I do it because I guess I started doing this back in 2006, around that time frame, 2007. It just kind of keeps growing, but I, I do it because, yeah, I think it, no matter your profession, I think it's important to have pride in what you do, and uh, that that pride is is I mean that that's your work and. How many people are HR people that work in a company that, unfortunately, nobody ever remembers or knows or cares about, right? They're just kind of the person they deal with when they have a have a, a benefits question, and, and ultimately they don't, you know, they don't leave a lasting impression. And I think that the buck's on an HR person to really to have pride in their work and share what they're doing. And, and who cares if what you share you think is not helpful or bad or just not good? Get out there and share and, and, and connect with other people who are sharing, too. And, and that's what it's about, is taking pride in what you do. And that, that's why I do what I do. 
um, on the HR and recruiting side is well, if anything, it's called coffee as well. So that's why I'm on this call. I mean, I, I I'm honored to get on here and talk to people about talent and HR and business and um, anything around there. So. Yeah. So what do you think at the core motivates you to do all this, right? So you're, you're doing blogs, you've got your business, you've got a podcast, you're doing the coffee stuff. I mean, you're doing consulting and working with the NHR. So is, is there something that really motivates you at, at maybe your core level that uh, maybe you think people want to maybe think about tapping into as well? Yeah, well, yes. Uh, well, I mean, by any means, uh, I, I think I'm probably your average guy or, uh, <laughs> that uh, is – maybe a little dis, uh, healthy uh, unsatisfaction of the status quo, if you will. And I, and I think it's, it's kind of, it's an outlet. And so what motivates me is this is a, this is an outlet that I have and I'm honored and thankful that I can open my computer and I can connect with millions or, you know, thousands of millions of, you know, essentially billions of people. And it's an outlet. And what drives me is that, you know, I, I guess I'm getting old now, but I'm old enough to remember when that was not an outlet. You couldn't just get on. I mean, hell, I did, when I started working, we didn't have Google, right? And so, you know, now you can get on and you can connect with a lot of people. And and it's just a wonderful way that, that I think that it just, it's just how business gets done now. It's how work gets done. It's how relationships get formed. And it's how I've hired people for some other coffee. I've met them online, and then we get to know each other. And it just really broadens your, opens your network. And so what motivates me to keep doing this is just, just having that pride in what I do and being open to learning. I mean, I'm not the smartest one out there, and that's the beauty of getting on, uh, you know, on the social media. You're, you're, you're showing your vulnerable side, and I think, you know, once you show your vulnerable side, people trust you more, and they're going to share more with you. And that, that's why I do what I do. So, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, uh, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is about books they might be reading, or if you're not maybe actively reading a book, maybe what's that one book that you think people should be reading, you know, if they haven't already. So do you, do you, have, a, do you have a book in mind? I do. Uh, I'm a reader. Uh, I, I always read, you know, always kind of reading a few books at, at a time. And the one I'm really into right now, it, it's funny because when I ordered this book on Amazon, I thought, and, and I'm the kind of person I have to read a hard book or, you know, paperback, just the actual book. I used to do the, you know, uh, read on my iPad. And after a while, you know, I want a book. Uh, so so I ordered this book, and it shows up, and this thing, like, weighs, uh, you know, five pounds. It's a, it's a brick. And it's an 800-page 800 800 book. But the name of the book is called About Face. And um, I'm not sure if you listen to the Jocko podcast. It's, he's a pretty intense Navy SEAL or ex-Navy SEAL. But he talked about, a lot about this book, and, and, and what it is, it's about faith. Is I don't have a military background, and it's uh, a very good book around understanding, uh, you know, what it takes to have the discipline of a, of a, of a military leader. And, and General Hackworth is the author of the book, and he writes this book called About Faith. And basically it took place in World War, from World War II all the way pretty much to the end of the Vietnam era. And this... this uh, uh, you know, military veteran. He, he's been through uh, a number of different wars, a number of different battles, and he talks a lot about leadership, a lot about discipline, uh, having a, a mindset, going through tough times. And, it, and it's really what I'd recommend anybody to read it, no matter your profession, because it opens your eyes to a world that 
you might think your office dynamics are tough, but look, you're not, you know, worried about some guy coming up with a gun, right? And, you know, fighting for your, uh, your life. It's just a different world. It makes you put things into perspective and, and how to really lead people and how to bond with people, how to be there for your people. And it's just been a great book. And so I'm, like I said, it, it, it's an 800 page book. I'm, uh, yeah about 250 pages into it, and it's one of those books that can come in a read. They keep reading it, but it's, it's only my only complaint about the book is get ready. It's 800 pages, and it's thick. You can't just carry it around all the time. <laughs> well, sounds so, like a great book yeah. to check out, especially if you have the time to read one that big. Um, it's funny. I run a book club, <laughs> and sometimes the big books get a lot of good attention, and sometimes the big books, um, the people don't have time to read, and then they come back. We get bigger crowd for the smaller books, so... I guess it just depends on the topic, but it sounds like a great book to check yeah. out. You know, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about uh, you, your blogs, um, you know, the, the coffee? What's what's all the different places they should go and check you out? Yeah, I'm I'm on probably every social media channel under Ben Martinez. It's either going to be Ben Martinez or Ben Martinez J. So like Twitter is just Ben Martinez and the letter J. And Facebook, I'm Ben Martinez. Instagram, I'm Ben Martinez J. My blog, benmartinez.co. Uh, look up Sumato Coffee. That's S-U-M-A-T-O Coffee. We we have a medium blog around uh, Sumato Coffee. You can check out our website. Um, if you like fresh social coffee, we'd be honored to roast for you. Um, you can use the promo code Sumato MVP at checkout. That'll save you 20% on your first order when you subscribe. But uh, um yeah, so that's unfindable. So, uh, um, so you can email me too, Ben at somatocoffee.com. So I'm pretty open to pretty much any platform. So, yeah. Well, sounds like people should be able to find you. We suggest that, that they do. Uh, and Ben, thanks so much for being a part of our show, providing us such great insights and a, really a, a, a quite varied um, and kind of cornucopia of things that you're doing. So it's fascinating to, to kind of hear all the things you're doing. So. Hopefully we'll have you come back at some point and give us an update on all, all, all the other things that you've added on. Hey, Chris, I really appreciate it. And uh, it's been a pleasure to put a you know voice here with everything going on. And I, I like what you guys are doing over at, uh, at People G2 and, and keep it up. So, I Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Hopefully you've gained something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Next uh, week, my guest will be Maria uh, Cordova, president and founder of uh, Humanity HR, and Gregory Simpson, Managing Director of Employee Experience Practice at uh, Agent in Engagement. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.